The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Me, by the way, in your Bibles to John chapter 11. So the Gospel of John, about two-thirds of the way back, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, big 11. As we do so, I put up here just the, maybe many of you know this, this children's song, right? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, that's, a, that's a good song. It's a good truth. Um, but sometimes it, it doesn't feel that simple. Right? If we're honest, there's probably a lot of times where the difficulties in our lives, the suffering, the hardships, the dark days, we, dark nights we go through, makes it hard for us to understand or experience the love of Jesus. And so that's really my, my question, my burden for us this morning is, how do we understand the love of Jesus when life gets really hard, when things take a turn for the worse, when things go south, does Jesus love us? And if so, how do we make sense of that? And uh, rather than just kind of waxing eloquently or just trying to give some really fancy thing, I actually want us to read a well-known story that I think touches on this very thing. Uh, it's the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Um, and so we're going to read this, and I'm going to read almost the whole story, and I know I run the risk as a guest preacher. It's like, dude, this guy's going to be reading forever and ever and ever. But, but I, I just want to uh, maybe just push back against that thought in your mind, right? We're, we're the people that we love reading books, good books, good stories. We love TVs, shows, and movies. Um, so I want you to, to give your attention to God's word and just let this story capture you this morning, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through this story this morning. So here's John 11. Uh, beginning at verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. Can you hear me okay? That's right. Uh, I know that uh, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mar uh, Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. I'm going to pray. I should have said this earlier, but before I do, most of these slides, you'll see a phone number on the bottom right-hand corner. That's my number. Um, if you have questions or just trying to think through this together, um, we're going to have a little time of question and answer at the end. We'd love to uh, think through more of these things together. Um, so let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. And I thank you for your son. I pray, God, that um, by your spirit, you'd, you would meet with us, you would teach us, you'd open our eyes. Lord, would you, would you raise the dead this morning? Would you do the impossible? Would you help us, I pray? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to see from this story four ways that Jesus loves us. Number one, we see Jesus loves us in his pauses and delays. Secondly, we see Jesus loves us in his person and his promises. Third, Jesus loves us in his presence and his tears. And finally, Jesus loves us in his power and his miracles. So first of all, uh, Jesus loves us in his pauses and his delays. Notice 
one thing that's very clear in the story is that it's clear from everybody in the story that Jesus loves his family, right? You can just see kind of some of the quotes I pulled up here, right? They sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. So the sisters think you love Lazarus. John in verse five says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when Jesus weeps, the crowd says, see how he loved him. So it's, it's really clear throughout this whole story that Jesus really does love his family. But then there's this tension, right? The tension is Jesus doesn't actually come to this family when they need him the most. Look at verses five and six again with me. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he, how would you finish that sentence, right? If somebody you loved was ill and you had the power to help them, you would say he dropped everything and ran to him. He prayed fervently to God to him, right? That's not what it says. It says when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer. Jesus intentionally delays, right? This is baffling. He goes on to tell the disciples, I'm glad that I didn't go there. Really? Your, your friend is dying and you're glad you didn't show up. What, what are we going to make of this, right? And, and, and Mary and Martha, right, they feel the same thing. They both say the same thing when Jesus shows up. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right, this is not some like straight up unbelief. This is saying, Jesus, you could have healed him. I know you could have, but you didn't come. Just imagine, I heard one preacher describe it this way, a sermon I was listening to, right? Just imagine day after day, right? They sent for Jesus. Jesus says, this illness won't lead to death. But day after day, he's not showing up. And Lazarus is getting sicker and sicker, worse and worse. And they're looking around and they're wondering, did you tell Jesus? Did he hear correctly? Is he coming? Where is he? And things just get worse and worse and worse. And then he dies. And it's like, what happened? We sent for him. We know he can do it. But he's not here. And I, I wonder if some of you are here this morning and you feel like that. You know Jesus can work great things in your life. But he hasn't. And you're waiting. And it feels like, well, where is he? Why, why hasn't he shown up yet? What's going on right now? Sadly, oftentimes in the Christian life, we are in that place. Right? There's the old saying that you're either about to go into a time of trial, you're in a time of trial, or you're about to come out of a time of trial. While, while Christianity is a life with Jesus of joy, it really is a life filled with hard things, trials, darkness, suffering. Even the crowds, when they see Jesus weeping, and they say, man, he loved him. It says in verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Right? They understand. Wait a second. We saw Jesus do powerful things. What gives? So the question is, what do we make of this? Right? And I just want to lay out a principle. We're going to flesh this out more in the sermon. But I think it's just a good place to start. Jesus delays flow not out of indifference or hatred, but out of love and wisdom, right? I think when we suffer and it feels like Jesus didn't show up or he just didn't show up in the way that we wanted to, our first thought is either he doesn't care about me, he's indifferent, or he just hates me. That's, that's typically where our 
mind and hearts go when we do that. But, but this story shows us that is not the answer, right? And, I, and again, we'll have to flesh this out more, but we, Jesus, his love is what causes his pauses and his delays. So we see Jesus loves us in his pauses and delays. Secondly, Jesus loves us in his person and his promises. Now here's a question I was thinking about. This struck me as I was studying for the sermon. How does Jesus comfort Martha when he shows up? Right? He, he doesn't do it the way that we would. Right? You have a friend that dies. You go to the funeral. What do you typically do, right? You, you give hugs. You weep. Right? You, you maybe in your best moments say, try to say something helpful maybe if it, there's the right time for it. I know sometimes we feel the urge to talk. And, but, but Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't give any sort of religious platitudes. He doesn't give a hug. He says, basically, it's okay, I'm here. Which, if we did that, would be crazy arrogant, right? Could you imagine somebody rolling up to your friend's funeral and saying, hey, it's okay, guys, don't have to weave anymore, I'm here. Like, dude, who invited this guy, right? <laughs> like, it's crazy. But Jesus does something surprising because if what he says here is true, this is the best thing he could do. This is the greatest thing he could do for a family who's suffering. Jesus says, uh, I, so I was hearing uh, a preacher back home preach on this text. He pointed out, Jesus says two things about himself, and there's two promises attached, or a promise attached to each one. So let's look at this famous line, verse 25 and 26. First of all, I am the resurrection. Right, so when Jesus says, your brother will rise again, Martha knows her Bible. She knows that in the Old Testament, it says that one day, all those who die will physically be raised from the dead, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt, judgment. So she says, okay, I know Jesus, one day my brother will come back from the dead. Jesus flips it around and says, that event is not just some future event, that is a reality tied to me. So the resurrection is not just some event in the future. The resurrection comes on how we relate to the person of Jesus. I am the resurrection. And the promise is, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. The, the hope we have as Christians this morning is a hope unlike any other hope in the world. The hope is not that everything will be better all the time in your life, right? If you follow Jesus, your life will look like his and will be hard. The hope of the Christian is that one day, no matter what difficulties, sadness, and death we end up going through, our hope is that one day we will be raised up by Jesus himself to eternal life. Our hope is, even though we die, yet we will live forever resurrected with him. The Bible says that the Son of God, the voice of the Son of God will call out and all those in the tombs will rise up. Those who have done good, that is, those who trust and follow Jesus to the resurrection of life those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus gives us hope no matter how much we suffer now. Death, suffering, evil is not the end of the story. Jesus has the last word and the last word is resurrection. His power and life over everything. But then he says something different, a little bit slightly different. He also says, I am the life. It's not the only place he says this, right? Kind of famous verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here's this promise, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now think, again, hearing this from my pastor back home, I think this is right. He's saying here, if you trust in me now, the you who has been born again, the you who really loves me, 
will never really die. And this is, this is what the Bible says, right? To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So when, you're, when you die and your body goes down in the grave, the you that loves Jesus does not cease to exist. You will dwell with Jesus, and one day your body and your solar spirit, your immaterial part of you, will come back together forever. So the life that we live now never really ends. As I was thinking about this sermon, talking actually with Pastor Jacob about this, he pointed me to a book uh, by Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher. It's got the O with the slash through it. It's pretty awesome. Um, here's a quote from a book of his, kind of touching on this story called The Sickness Unto Death. You can read this as I read it. For humanly speaking, death is the last thing of all. And humanly speaking, there is hope only so long as there is life. But Christianly understood, death is by no means the last thing of all. Hence, it is only a little event within that which is all in eternal life. So then, in the Christian understanding of it, not even death is the sickness unto death. Still less, everything which is called earthly and temporal suffering. Just hear this list. Want, sickness, wretchedness, affliction, adversities, torments, mental sufferings, sorrow, grief. And even if such things are so painful and hard to bear that we men say, or at all events the sufferer says, this is worse than death. Everything of the sort which, if it is not a sickness, is comparable to a sickness, is nevertheless, in the Christian understanding of it, not the sickness unto death. What is, what is he saying here? I think what he's saying is what the Bible says, that because Jesus is the resurrection and life, because he's promised us life beyond death, everlasting resurrection life, no matter what sufferings we go through now, he is promising us something far better and far greater to come. So this is why Paul will say things like in 2 Corinthians 4, for I consider this light momentary affliction. By the way, same letter, Paul tells us what the light momentary affliction includes. He got beat up, people threw stones at him, he got shipwrecked, people slandered him. He lived a hard life. But he says, this light momentary affliction is not worth comparing to the glory. Uh, actually, it's not even that. He says, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. He'll say in Romans 8, for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. So when he thinks about the, the glory to come, the resurrection, eternal life, he says, it's not even worth comparing. They're not, they're not the same. So I wonder, for you this morning, I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you personally believe this? Right? I, I grew up in the church, right? My mom's here, Christian family, but I didn't believe this until I was older, not really. I wonder, do you personally believe this? And if you don't, I wanna, I wanna invite you to call you. Even as the scripture would say to command you, come to Jesus. He offers you eternal life simply by trusting yourself to him. You don't have to earn this resurrection life. It's given to you for free when you trust your life to him. So Jesus loves us in his pauses, in his person and promise. Number three, Jesus loves us in his presence and his tears. I think one of the questions we ask when we suffer is, how does God feel 
about your suffering. Right? If we believe that God is somehow involved, he allows or permits, however we want to say that, I think oftentimes when we suffer, we think, well, God doesn't really care, right? If we're honest, we think, well, God's kind of indifferent or cold or he just hates me, right? So the question we have to ask from this story is, how does Jesus feel about the suffering, right? If we, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we can tell how does God think about suffering when we look at Jesus, and what's amazing is, this story tells us very clearly how Jesus thinks about suffering. Verse 35, could be your memory verse for the week, right? <laughs> it's two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. So what that what it tells me is, even though Jesus had a hand in Lazarus getting sicker and sicker, right? Jesus didn't come on purpose. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't care. When Jesus is there, confronted by death and suffering, people weeping, he weeps with those who weep. Jesus' heart breaks for us in our suffering. And to further kind of help us understand this, I want to give two illustrations, one personal and one from C.S. Lewis. Um, personal example, my, uh, my twin daughters, Grace and Rosa, they're five. Uh, we adopted them when they were a year and a half old from Bulgaria. And after we brought them home, uh, we lived in Kentucky. We took them up to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. They have really good, like, lived in Kentucky. We took them up to Cincinnati Children's Hospital. They have really good, like, international pediatric care. And one of the things they had to do at the end of the visit uh, for both my daughters was to draw blood, right? Typical checking blood, making sure everything's healthy, right? But for a one-and-a-half-year-old, you can't draw blood the normal way. You, you have to draw blood from their foot. And so Rosa, who is a daddy's girl through and through, Right? I just remember the look on her face when they stuck the needle in her foot. Panic, shock, like, terror might not be the right word, but just confusion, what is going on, just crying and crying. And I just had to hold her and make sure that this thing went through okay. Now, the question is, how did I feel in that moment? Right? As, as Rosa is in pain, as she's confused, as she doesn't know what's going on, right? Am I just there like, oh, Rosa, you need to just buck up because this is good for you? No. No, no, no. My heart's breaking for her. I'm just trying to comfort her. I care about her. But my care didn't just make me go all ninja on all the nurses, right, and be like, you're not going to touch my daughter. No, no. I knew this was for her good. She didn't understand all that at the moment. But I knew it's for her good that she goes through this. But that didn't mean that my heart was indifferent. My heart broke, even though I knew in the big picture this is for her good. And I, I believe that's how God feels toward us this morning. Even though we may not understand what we're going through, ultimately, Jesus' heart breaks. Our God, as a perfect father, he grieves over our suffering, even though he may allow it or bring it for our good. C.S. Lewis, uh, he says it better than I can. Um, I'll just give a quick plug too. This is a little bit of an aside, but if you guys like music, uh, there's an album. You can look this up on Spotify later. Um, f- friend of mine from the church I used to go to, her name is Sarah Sparks. She wrote an album on the Chronicles of Narnia stories. Beautiful, beautiful songs. Um, so that, you might just jam out to that this afternoon. Let me read from The Magician's Nephew um, this beautiful quote. It's about Didgeri, the main character. He says this. He, he thought of his mother 
And he thought of the great hopes that he had, that he, that he had had, and how they were all dying away. And a lump came in his throat and tears in his eyes. And he blurted out, but, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great front feet and his huge claws on them. Now in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big bright tears compared with Didri's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know. Grief is great. Only you and I in this land know that yet. Let us be good to one another. Right? Our God, his heart breaks more than even ours do for the suffering that we face. He is not indifferent. He is grieved and he will only allow the suffering that comes into our life. He will only allow it so that he makes us more like Jesus and carries us all the way home to glory. Now, at this point, we, we could end the sermon. Some of you are like, please end the sermon. <laughs> but but you, you could end it here. And, and when I've taught this before, I have ended it here, right? Uh, Jesus pauses. He gives us promises. He weeps with us. But I want to ask the question, how does this story actually end? Right? That's not how the story ends. Right? The story actually ends with a dead man coming back to life. So I want to end the sermon with this fourth point. Jesus loves us in his power and his miracles. Now, there's hints about where the story is going the whole time, right? You can see, he says right away, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified through it. He tells the disciples, not just, I'm glad that I was not there, but he says, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, right? He, he tells Martha, when she doesn't want to roll away the stone, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? And it says afterwards, when Lazarus was raised, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Right? This is an extraordinary miracle, right? So thinking through that phrase, every miracle is extraordinary, right? But this is like really surprising, right? Lazarus is really, really dead. Right? It says twice, he's been dead four days, right? She, she, uh, I think it's Martha here. Yeah, it says the sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I have to quote the King James here, right? Behold, he stinketh, right? It's awesome. Um, but think about it. He's been dead for four days. He's decomposing, right? It's like, Jesus, it's over. You missed it, right? He's too far gone. And Jesus' response is, it's not over, right? Just, just imagine, right, the situations in your life where you feel like things are too far gone relationships or healing or somebody's salvation or, or whatever it might be. And you feel like, dude, that's impossible. Right? It's not too late or not too far gone with Jesus. There, there, there's two lies. As I was thinking through this and my pastor at my church, uh, he talked about there's kind of two extremes. There's two lies that we believe when it comes to God and our suffering. Number one, 
We believe God isn't with me and for me in my suffering. And I hope the first three points of the sermon have helped to see that's not true, right? God is with us. He is for us. Even though we may not understand his ways, he really is Emmanuel, God with us, and he is loving us. But there's another lie on the other end of it that I also think we believe, which is God isn't able, or maybe he's able, but he's not really willing to bring healing or breakthrough, to do something to change the unchangeable. And I wonder if you've fallen for that lie this morning. Right now, now I know, as soon as I say this, I just want to be clear, I know there is some sort of suspicion in the back of your mind because we live in a day and age where many prosperity preachers, TV preachers, will say unhelpful and untrue things, right? The, the, the Joel Osteen type person, whatever it might be, there's not just one, will basically say, God only wants to bless you. Every day is a Friday, your best life now. God will only do good. He'll never allow any harm or evil or suffering ever. And plot twist, if, it, if there is any suffering, it's your fault because you have, don't have enough faith or haven't sent a paycheck to me yet, right? And that's, that is vile wickedness, to be very clear. But sometimes I think we swing the pendulum when we hear that and we say, oh, well, God doesn't ever do any miracles anymore. God doesn't ever bless me. God, get, God can't do the undoable anymore. I just want you to think, I mean, at, at the very least, if you're a Christian here this morning, you know that's not true because you're a Christian, <laughs> right? Just imagine, just think about who you were before Jesus met you or if you have the luxury of being a Christian from a young age. Imagine where your life would go if you weren't a Christian, where the, the, the lusts of the flesh would take you without Jesus, right? It's scary. But what happened? God raised the dead. God made you something different. God did a miracle to make you who you are in Jesus, right? So we know God can do impossible things. The way he heals us, saves us, right? The way he heals even our bodies. I've been reading a book called Miracles Today by Craig Keener. Fascinating, this guy's a scholar and he has hundreds and hundreds of stories of how God is healing people, not just way back then or in that country over there, but here and now. It's crazy, it's crazy stories. Build your faith, right? Jesus says these words, they've really, in one sense, haunted me for a long time, or maybe the last six months or a year. Jesus says in Mark 10, all things are possible to the one who believes. Now notice, he didn't say, if you believe, I'm gonna do everything you want. But he says, if you can trust me, there's nothing impossible that I can't do. And I wonder if I can stir up your faith to seek God for the impossible, right? And if he doesn't show up, we can trust, as we've seen already, God is good and wise even when he doesn't answer, even when he doesn't show up like we want. But what if your prayers today in God's mercy would change everything? What if Jesus would show up today in power, right? We say things like, now to him who is able to do far more than we can ask or think. That's who God is. So this morning, I just want to ask as we close, do you know the love of Jesus this morning? Right? Do you know the love of Jesus this morning? I pray if you're suffering this morning that these truths, this story, would help you to reconsider that Jesus is with you right now. He loves you with all his heart right now. And if you don't know Jesus, maybe you're here because your family's here or you're a guest, 
I just want just to ask the question, I mean, who else can love you like Jesus can? Right? Who, who else has perfect wisdom in the ways he loves us? Never makes mistakes. Right? Who, who else can not just say, I'm sorry that you're suffering, but can offer eternal life? Who else weeps with us perfectly? He's never cold or indifferent. And who else is able to move in power and actually help us in our hour of need? Jesus loves us in his pauses, his person and promises, his presence, and his power. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, uh, God, for your, your love for us. Lord, I just said that, not really meaning it, but Lord, it, your love is amazing. Lord, there's nothing, God, that you can't do in your love. I pray, God, for those, for those saints who are suffering. Father, they be reminded of the love of Jesus. They'd sense his love, his presence, his tears. They'd look again to his promises. God, I pray that, Lord, you'd move in power. Lord, in this church, bring healing, bring comfort. Father, even as you, Lord, lifted a dark cloud for me yesterday, God, that you would bring light, healing, hope, salvation in this place. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.